0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, family. New, new, new family, for, for me, is the first time to, to be able to be with you and to be in your presence. Um, but family nonetheless. And it is an honor for, uh, for me and for Jill to get to be with you um, I said in the Bible class time that uh, this was a a church that we have known for many years um, because of our partnerships in Rwanda, getting to serve with Brian and Holly and others in Rwanda, Um, but we've heard of you for many years, and we have loved you from afar, uh, and now it is an honor to get to be with you in person. And so thank you for your welcome this morning and for the opportunity to be together uh, as we get to spend time in God's presence, um, the only place that really has anything that we're looking for. As I, as I was praying um, and thinking about the words to share, you know, you, you ask when you go to speak um, at a place, you ask God to give you His words for a people, and and I pray that that you will find some encouragement in that. But I think also equally as important is that you ask God to give you his heart for those people as well. And I want you to know as I, as I was pray, praying on the front up here just before we came up and I was asking God, God, what do you see here? The Father is so in love with this church. His pleasure and his joy was just overwhelming. And I think your father wants you to know that he's here with you today. He's seen your tears, seen tears this morning. He's seen your songs of celebration. He knows if you feel like you are winning or if you feel like you're getting kicked in the teeth. And he's with you. And the father wanted you to know that today. And I hope through the things that we're able to share each other, that you catch a glimpse of your father's heart for you Cause when we talk about mission, you know, typically we think of, well, those are the things that God wants us to go do. And yeah, it's missions. And I know I need to be doing some stuff and I probably should tell my neighbor about Jesus. And I don't know, maybe I'll go on that short term mission trip. And it's like, we feel sometimes burdened by the list of things that God has to do for us. And I think what God is inviting us into right now in this moment is to put the list down to rest in his presence and to know that you are a beloved son and daughter today because all good and pure mission comes from that place. Otherwise, we're carrying an empty gospel to an empty people and it won't be what they need. So receive who you are this morning that you are the beloved of God and he wants you to know that. And we're gonna talk some about that today. We had the privilege of serving in, in Rwanda and it was, um, it was a wonderful seven years. If the Lord told us to go back, to tomorrow, go back tomorrow to Rwanda, we would go, it was, a, it was a beautiful time, beautiful time in our family. We saw God do amazing things, I wanna share some of that with you today. Uh, But being on the mission field can also be humbling. And so I'm gonna share one of those stories with you today and it's okay to laugh uh, together because that's what family does, right? We tell the old stories and we laugh together. And so not long after we had moved to Rwanda, we were there, uh, my wife and I and some other people and we were uh, trying to find a way to engage the community. And we said, okay, We know English. There's a lot of people in in our neighborhood and at the neighborhood schools that want to know English. And so that's something simple we can do. We can teach English. And so we had a little community center and we invited the community to come. One of the ladies that came to the English class, her name was Mama Wachu. Mama Wachu was a big joyous personality. She lit up the room every time that she came in Uh, and she and I were paired together and I began to teach Mama Wachu English. And we practiced, hello, how are you? I'm fine, all of those things. And it was, we had a great time. After several weeks, we had a graduation ceremony. Mama Wachu got her certificate, she was so proud. Uh, and then it was several weeks before I saw Mama Wachu again. One day, uh, my wife and, and one of our Rwandan friends' we were walking down the road in our neighborhood, and here comes Mama Wachu. And she sees me and she sees us and she's like, oh, it's so good to see you. And so she starts practicing her English, right? She's like, hello, how are you? I'm fine. Well, then Mama Wachu begins to, to demonstrate some more English prowess than I knew that she had. And uh, she was sandbagging me a little bit, I think in our class because she looked at me after a few moments of pleasantries and she said, oh, you, you have reduced said that she, she was meaning you'd lost some weight. Yeah, yeah, mama watch you. You know, I've been trying to watch what I eat. I've been running a little bit, you know. I was feeling pretty good that she noticed, you know. She said, because before, before you were like Papa Thomas. I was like, Papa Thomas? I don't get that. So just a side note, it's customary in Rwanda for uh, Parents to be named uh, the names of their children. So we have children: Fred, Tess, and Cy. So I could be Papa Tess or Papa Sai. She said Papa Thomas. I was like, I don't have any kids named Thomas. What? What are you talking about, Mama? Watching? She goes, No, 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 no. You know, like the animal, Papa Thomas. <laughs> she was calling me a hippopotamus, guys. She was calling me a hippopotamus. (laughs) Jill falls into the street laughing. I'm afraid she's going to get run over because she doesn't care at that moment because she's laughing so hard. Feast, our Rwandan friend, has just doubled over. And all I could think of is, you know, I should have failed you in English class and not given you that certificate, Mama Wachu. And then our teammates, of course, picked it up. And I affectionately became known for the the next seven years as Papa Thomas among my uh, teammates. So, yeah and if you call me Papa Thomas after this service that's fine I, I'll answer to it it's okay but it was a blessing to be in Rwanda even though there were some funny moments like that because I saw the kingdom of God come and we prayed it this morning as a as a family father in heaven hallowed be your name may your kingdom come that's the story of our heart that's the story of what we want to be a part of and we prayed it again today and in Rwanda I got to see it and I got to see sick people healed and I got to see hungry people be fed and I got to see those who had been devastated by genocide receive a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair guys I want to see it I want to see it over and over and over again. I want to see it here among this church. I want to see it in my neighborhood back in Fort Worth. I want to see it around the world. And that's what we're here to tell, is to testify to the story of the kingdom coming. And to start with this uh, slide this morning, this is a, uh, a picture on the streets of Athens. And I know that you guys have work going on in Athens, and I so appreciate it what you are doing. But as we were there, um, as in my work with Missions Resource Network, we began to discover, hey, what God is doing in the Muslim world, right, like all over the place. He is doing something extraordinary. We're gonna talk about that for a moment. So we went on these survey trips to, to discern what is God doing and how can we mobilize churches and teams to go there. And so we went to Athens and we talked with some, uh, some new friends at the Oasis Church. And you know, hey, have, do you have any stories of this You know, Jesus movement that's happening among Muslim people. And they said, Yeah, we got one. And so a lady came to the Oasis Church and they had a food program there. And they would bring refugees in who had fled war and atrocities and other things uh, who have come to Athens. And they opened their building and they did a food program, they did clothing. And a lady would come, uh, we'll call her Miriam. Miriam would come to this place and she would eat the food and she would get the clothes, but then they would start talking about Jesus. She's like, no, 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 I don't want to know about this Jesus, leave me alone. I just want the food. And so they kind of repeated this for several months. Miriam came often, but was not interested in the gospel. One day, Miriam showed up at the Oasis Church and she had arrived too early for when the, the program Uh, was going to start and so she was being she was really tired and weary uh, from the journey and so she sat down on the pavement right here and Miriam said she fell asleep and as she dozed she said I had a dream and in this dream there was a man dressed in dazzling white you probably have heard some of these stories And she said, in this dream, the man looked at me and said, the door is open. And Miriam said, in my dream, I argued with him and said, no, it's not, the door's locked. And he said, no, I am the door and it is open. Miriam woke up, she stood up, she put her hand on the handle, it opened. She went inside, she found the people, the workers at that church, and she said, tell me about the man in white who says he's the open door. And today she's a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we can clap clap for stories about like that. We We hear too many stories of violence and devastation and destruction and pain and misery. We celebrate those kind of stories as a family. We say praise God because of the magnificent wonders of his grace that he would appear to a woman from the Middle East on a dirty sidewalk in Athens and want her to know that he is the open door. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's coming after people. And I want you to know, if we go to the next slide, I want you to know that you are a part of the greatest movement that our world has ever seen. And nothing is going to stop it. You need to know that the kingdom of God is advancing upon the earth and that in all corners of the earth, we are seeing the Holy Spirit move. We are seeing people come to Jesus. We are seeing villages transformed. We are seeing people fall in love with the creator of the universe. They're leaving false idols behind. Jesus' kingdom is coming. And you need to know and you need to be reminded today that you are a part of the greatest movement that our world's ever seen. And nothing is going to stop it. And, and I want to say something to you, regardless of how you feel today, whether you feel like you're winning or whether you feel like you're losing, you need to know that Jesus is coming. And he wants to encourage you with the idea that that kingdom is coming and nothing is going to stop it. We are a people who are a part of the greatest story that our world's ever seen. And I think we show up here today and we need to be reminded to orient our story, like my small story, in the context of the bigger story. A lot of times my story, my small story is the only one I can see, right? I get caught up in in what's happening with me and in the family troubles that I have. And we do have some family struggles in our family right now. And I get caught up, you know, I'm not sure if my, my kids are really passionate about following Jesus. I pray that they are, but I, I, you know, I just don't know. You know, work is stressful and those kinds of things and I get into my little story and I forget. And I think Jesus just wants you to catch a glimpse of him today, high and risen up on that, on that throne in glory and saying, my children, I'm winning I'm winning, I'm coming, be at peace. I've overcome the world, take heart. He tells his church today, take heart. He tells you today, take heart because I have overcome the world and I've overcome what's happening in your story. And yes, we will suffer. We know that that doesn't mean there's not suffering in the story. But Jesus' kingdom is coming. I'm gonna introduce you to a, just a little diagram here. This was super helpful for me as I think about the context of what we're talking about when we say, we say mission and we say movement, right? Like what are we talking about here, all right? And so movements uh, of God or how Jesus comes in among a people or a place at a specific time. And they start as the unreached. Now, many movements have been going on for hundreds of years, right? When our faith came in to Palestine and into Jerusalem and into those lands, it came among a people that knew God but didn't know Jesus. And so nothing was really there yet. And so Jesus starts among the unreached. Then it moves, it says movement here. I kind of like to label the whole thing movement. I think this is the multiplication stage where then it begins to rapidly multiply from family to family, from city to city, from village to village, from house to house. We see these small emerging churches come, right? So there's no big established church in the early days of movement, right? It's underground. Uh, It's often persecuted or misunderstood at the very least by the culture around it. And it starts out small. But we see this rapid multiplication, this rapid moving from one house and one person to another because people are coming alive in Jesus and they can't help but telling everybody. Then over a period of years, we see it begin to be more accepted within society. Things begin to formalize. We start to see uh, kind of more pastor's Professional pastors and teachers being raised up to lead within churches. We begin to see Bible uh, schools and those kinds of things solidifying a lot of what's taken place in the early stages and the unreached and the multiplication or movement stages. And then ultimately, after a number, many of years, the, the church then becomes what's called institutional where it becomes, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, we can throw that around like a, a bad word about the church. Oh, it's so institutional, right? But I think it's just a natural progression of what it looks like for the kingdom to come among a people. It's going to formalize, right? We're going to see formalized churches, formalized church staff. We're gonna see worship, ministry, music. We're gonna see all of these things begin to be what the, the, the culture and society around it can look to as trustworthy, when the church formalizes the, the culture and the people around it can say, we can have confidence that that is a good thing. Now, here's the thing. If you had to place where we are today, particularly here in the West, you we can even do it with, with our own church here, where would you say we are? Where would you say we're at? Not good or bad or right or wrong? Yeah, right, I would say we were in the institutional phase. The Hills Church, where we're at, back in Fort Worth, we're in the institutional phase. Here's the thing. God wants to give birth to new movements in every time, among every people, all day long. And the beautiful role that we have as a church that exists in this institutional stage is to give birth along with God to new movements. Because this is a cycle. This is not, let's get to the top of the hill. Like, oh yeah, baby, we're here. Kingdom's here. No, because what's happening, even in our day, among our people, among this culture, is that this culture is losing trust in our institutions. They don't believe that the church has the answers anymore. The church is not a trustworthy wisdom source often has not been a trustworthy love source. And so what has to happen? I think we have to hear the call of God to say, Jesus, what new movement do you want to start even among our own people? And the beauty of what we're doing, even within our mission Sundays, we have mission Sundays at the hills, right? You guys have one here, is that we are giving of what God has given to us to see new movements take place around the world. That's why this is so important. Because Jesus always wants to do some new things. He's always trying to come in new ways. And so you need to know that more Muslims are coming to Christ than ever before. What is happening in Iran is bigger than what, is, what happened in Acts. What what is happening current day in your lifetime, in Iran, is bigger than what happened in the book of Acts. That's the kind of scale that we are talking about, the way Jesus is coming into our world. Because he's always giving birth to new movements. I wanna tell you about a church in North Africa. Go to the next slide. That's the bigger context what we're talking about today. But this is a church, uh, the ruins of a church uh, in the city of Tunis in Tunisia. And North Africa has a very special place in, uh, in early Christian history. It was where ancient Carthage was and there was much Christian thought. Early, the early Christian fathers and mothers were, uh, were in North Africa in Carthage. Uh, If you've heard the name Tertullian, he was born and raised there. Um, This is a picture of a church that sits just on the side of a road, because Tunisia is a a completely Muslim country. Um, And it's interesting because you can see it sits in the shadow of this great big mosque here. But in 397, the year 397, there was a church council that was called in Carthage, and they met at this church. And this was one of the places where the canon of the Bible was put together. Right here, used to be a beautiful church. They put the canon of the Bible together. Now that went through many iterations along the way before it was finalized. But in 397, they met here. One of the beautiful things about this church is that there are still a few things that remain. If you go to the next slide. You're looking from above, there's there's no dome anymore, but you're looking down into what is an ancient baptismal of the church here in Carthage. And there was a beautiful dome over the top of it, and you can see the doorway that leads out from there uh, down underneath this side, there is a door that leads into there. A person who was ready to follow Jesus and to be baptized would go through from the outside down the steps into the baptismal. They would pass through what's called the death gate. They would go into the baptismal. They would celebrate uh, the the beauty of being baptized into Jesus Christ, they would go out that door at the top there. And if you go to the next slide, they would come out through what's called the life gate. And that life gate led into the church where their brothers and sisters were waiting for them. And as they walked out, their family would welcome them into the family of God as they passed from the death gate into the life gate. It's one of my favorite pictures that I have. But here's the thing. Movements require resurrection power. And resurrection power requires surrendering, surrendering hours. You know, our movement is no movement if Jesus does not come out of the tomb and brothers and sisters, the movement stalls if you don't come out of yours. I think maybe sometimes we get stuck between the death gate and the life gate. And we think that the gospel is the gospel of sin management. And the gospel is the gospel of try not to tick God off too much so he'll welcome me home one day. And all I can see is my sin. I keep staring at the cross because I love Jesus on the cross. I do, it's one of the beautiful things, but the cross, the death gate brothers and sisters always leads to the life gate. And I think what Jesus is saying is even to us today is that there are people here that are due for a resurrection. There are people that He's waiting, just waiting, come into the new life that I'm calling you into because that's what movements are born from. They are born from resurrected Jesus Christ who resurrects you, who resurrects me, who says to the dead people in our world, you know what, you can be resurrected too. And I think Jesus is waiting for us to pour life into the world that is full of death. He's waiting for us to pour hope and to pour peace and to pour goodness out into the world that is so desperate to find it. And the movements that I think he wants to start are waiting on us to pass from death to life, to be fully alive in him. so that his kingdom can flow into the world that's waiting for it. You know, we don't start movements. Something I learned on the, the field, I really wanted to just go start movements, right? Like, oh, if I just say the right thing, you know, or have the best sermon illustration, or, you know, if I, if I prayed enough, you know, then I could start a movement. I tried it for a long time, it doesn't, it doesn't work because movements aren't started by my own power. They aren't started when I decide. Movements are started by God. Movements are received when the Spirit of God says, now is the time, now is the fullness of time. And so my job, our job then is to, to be with Jesus and for him to say, yes, now is the time. Movements are received. It's like what we're seeing at Asbury Seminary. You familiar with what's going on at Asbury? Starting February 8th, I guess, there was just a common chapel. I don't know if you've gone back and seen, you know, even that February 8th service. I saw, I watched the the sermon beforehand, you know, I mean, it was just like any other day, man. But something happened February 8th in Kentucky, and a group of students and a group of people that were gathered there said, we want the presence of God. And the presence of God came and the presence of God hasn't left and neither has those people. And a movement is happening because movements are received. And Jesus is calling us to take our place among the living. See, Jesus has a kingdom and it's coming, but it hasn't fully come Yet he intends for it to spread over the whole earth. Jesus is not shy about world domination. Because it's his. And every person that's been made, he is planning for them to be caught up in this movement. You know, it's interesting. The first tactical move that Jesus makes after rising from the dead... He gets his disciples together and they're so confused. And Jill read, uh, prayed this over us in our communion time. You know, they've got them, they're hiding in the upper room, right? Like, okay, these are not really movement people. They're hiding, you know, they're afraid, they're wounded, they're confused, they're scared, you know, Jesus breathes on them. It's just this miracle. I mean, like I was thinking today, when was the last time Jesus breathed on you? When is the last time that you experienced the breath of God? When was the last time you felt a movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because, friends, that's what you were made for. It's not a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience that maybe happens at some seminary in Kentucky. That's the life that you were made for, to have the very breath of God breathed out on you every single day. Your Father wants that for you. He wants to inflame your life with him, with his spirit, with his heart, with his passion, with his, with his very life. He breathes on them. And then what does he tell him? After he breathes on him, what does he tell him? Alright, go get them, boys. No. What does he tell him? He tells him to wait. Wait, I hate waiting. Just side note. I do not like to wait. Jesus says to these people, wait, go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit before you dare try to do anything on your own. Because movements aren't started by people, they're started by God. And they go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes and wrecks everything that they had imagined and turns the world completely upside down. I think Jesus would like to do that with us. I think Jesus would like to do that with you. In fact, I think he's kind of dreaming about that. What if, what if they waited? What if they listened? Just for a moment, what if they waited and then in the power of the Spirit, I turn them loose and completely wreck the world? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about today. Somehow, Holy Spirit filled people are one of Jesus' greatest weapons. That's what he's chosen to assail the darkness. Holy Spirit filled people who are ready to put their life on the altar. You are God's plan for your city. And you are God's plan for this world and there's no plan B. That's what he's inviting us into. And this has always been how God's method for his kingdom comes. Ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit who have been with Jesus. Are there those kind of people here today? I look into some of your eyes right now. And the answer is yes. I see you. I see your eyes. I see the faith of many decades. I see willingness to be used by God. I see it in you. The Father sees it in you too. He's ready. The last story. You now we're done. If we could go ahead and go to the next slide. I invite the band to come on up and go ahead and take your places. We'll we'll close up in just a second. But I want to tell you one more story. This is from our time in Rwanda. Tell you the story of grandmother. Um, This is really a story about some young men who that we had the privilege to get to know and work with uh, together in Rwanda. Uh, You'll see a picture of them at the end in just a few minutes. But... um, this group of young men, they were in university. Uh, they are genocide survivors. They had lost all of their family in the genocide. Um, they had very little, but they were able, we were able to get sponsorships and they went, went to university. And these young men were just quite extraordinary and still are to this day. I just got back from Rwanda on Monday actually and saw many of them. They, uh, they decided that they wanted to set aside some of their money and they had very, very little money. They set aside some of their money so they could bless somebody in the community. And they were praying and trying to figure out how can we do that? And one of the young men said, well, I know somebody back from the village where I grew up. Uh, She's an old old lady. She is blind. Uh, Her house is falling down. She has nothing. Her family's not taking care of her. Perhaps we could take care of her with this money. And so on New Year's Day, which is like the biggest celebration in Rwanda, it's Christmas day for us, you know, or Thanksgiving or whatever, it's New Year's Day in Rwanda. Um, they went to the village uh, to go visit grandmother. They had bought some food that they took with her, with them to give to her, they had bought a goat so that she would be able uh, to, you know, to have something to begin to, to sustain herself with. And they said, we are going to repair her house. And so if you go to the next slide, Uh, New Year's Day, uh, this was her house beforehand, grandmother's house, and uh, it was, of course, if you can tell, it's uh, really bad shape, it was starting to fall down, and so the next slide, they said, hey, let's go, we can start, uh, we can start repairing this, and so they they made fresh mud, Uh, they reinforced it with things inside, and as they were doing this, the community started coming out, right, because they not much happening in the village. And they're out there and they're looking, they're like, what are you doing? Like, why why are you doing this? This community where grandmother had lived a long time, you know, they were like, why are you doing this? And then word starts to get around about who these boys are. See, the boy that grew up there, uh, it was fairly widely known um, that as he lost all of his family in the genocide, grandmother's family were the ones that killed his family. And word began to spread around the village that this was happening. And They couldn't believe it. So the village comes out and you can see these are other people here now from the village who have said, we're going to join in and we are gonna start taking care of grandmother. And so they began to repair the house. They had this big party. If you go to the next slide, uh, these are the boys sitting with grandmother Bunani is the one on the left who is from the village. That's grandmother and that's Jean-Pierre in the middle there who still works with us at ATN. And he did a beautiful thing for grandmother that day. Bunani and grandmother developed a relationship. And the day came for Bunani to graduate from university. Big day. Nobody ever thought this young man would graduate from college but he did. And at the graduation ceremony, there were several spaces for people to sit that were reserved for his family. Of course, Bunani lost all of his family during the genocide. And so what Bunani decided to do was to invite grandmother to come sit in the place where his family was supposed to sit to witness his graduation. And that's how movements start. How can something like this come to pass? 2 Corinthians eight and verse five. It's talking about the, it's talking about the collection that they were taking up for the Jerusalem church. But this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Says they did even more than we hoped, meaning more than just give money. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. The great commission always flows from the great commandment. We love God first, and we love other people, and we watch the world change before our eyes. Before any kind of money is given for our missions gathering here, That's next week. Before any of the collections are gathered, I think what God is looking for is where are my people? Where are my people who will say, Lord, I'm giving you you me. I'm not just putting a check in the plate. I'm giving you me. I'm giving you everything that I have. My talents, my abilities, my dreams, my hopes, my plans, my kids. I'm giving it all to you. I'm putting it all. I'm all in. Give ourselves first to the Lord and then to others. And friends, if we do that, we will participate in movements that will change the world because they always have. So I want you to just close your eyes for a moment as we wrap up. I just want you to spend a few minutes with Jesus because you're going to forget my words, but you won't forget his And I want you to just pray what you need to pray right now with Jesus, whether it's a prayer of offering, whether it's a prayer of releasing, a prayer of healing. Whatever it is that you need from Jesus today, He is ready to give it. Receive from Jesus what you need to today.